0: Hello and welcome to the Friday, October 1st, 2021 Pumpkin Spice Edition of On Iowa Politics. <laughs> this week, the race for governor and more redistricting. As our elected officials in Washington debate the merits of the BIF, debt, ceiling, and continuing resolutions, the University of Virginia Center and Project Homefire have been exploring the social, political, and psychological divides between Trump and Biden voters. First, the good news: majority of Trump and Biden voters expressed support for several elements of the bipartisan infrastructure package and reconciliation bills being debated in Congress. Then the findings get darker. Majorities of both Biden and Trump voters express some form of distrust for voters, the elected officials, and media sources they associate with the other side. The strong majority of Trump voters still see no real difference between democrats and socialists and a majority of biden voters at least somewhat agree that there is no real difference between republicans and fascists and significant numbers of trump and biden voters show a willingness to consider violating democratic norms if it serves their purposes two in ten trump and biden voters strongly agree it would be better if a president could take needed actions without being constrained by congress or courts forty percent of biden voters and half of trump voters at least somewhat agree it's time to split the country favoring blue red states seceding from the union happy friday everyone (laughs) 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 have a nice weekend (laughs) (laughs) just stay away from your neighbors (laughs) (laughs) hi i'm james lynch of the cedar rapids gazette with me today are tom barton of the quad city times good morning tom
1: Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy,
0: State House Bureau Chief for the Leaning Newspapers. Good morning, Aaron.
1: Good morning, James.
0: And Gazette Opinion Editor, Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcasts. First up today, the race for governor. If you hadn't heard, there's a race for governor in 2022. So far, some Democrats have been out on the campaign trail. Tom, you sat down with one of them, State Representative Ross Smith from Waterloo, to talk about his campaign. What's his case for being a Democratic nominee? Uh,
1: Smith said that there's more work to do uh, to be done uh, for the state to live up to what he sees as a history of inclusivity and innovation in Iowa. Um, He laid out a vision of Iowa that's diverse, equitable, and can transcend current partisan divides. He talked about his grandmother who fled a sharecropping plantation in Mississippi to move to Iowa in 1957 and how he's not sure his grandmother would have moved to this Iowa uh, citing newly enacted voting restrictions. He likened to voter suppression laws similar to the Jim Crow laws um, his grandmother fled in Mississippi. Smith, too, pointed to legislation passed uh, this session that ended school districts ability to adopt voluntary diversity plans that limited the number of students who could transfer to a different district with the intention of encouraging racial diversity, the result of which uh, Smith fears will lead to white flight and segregation, allowing wealthier families to flee public schools for less diverse charters or private schools and reducing funds for poor minority students. He talked about his education plan, um, which he said is aimed at shoring up a public education system, he argues, has been shortchanged by policies promoted by Republican Governor Kim Reynolds, uh, that he argues benefits private interests at the expense of educators and students. So examples of that that he pointed to was Reynolds' push for legislation that would establish a state-funded school voucher scholarship program for public school students who want to attend private school and her signing a legislation expanding the state's charter school system. Um, Opponents argue that that law shifts tax dollars away from public schools to charter schools that have less oversight, accountability, transparency. Um, So Smith talked about his education plan and among other provisions says that it would reduce class sizes and mandated testing, um, increase school support personnel, restore collective bargaining rights for Iowa teachers um, stop the, ex- the expansion of what he called for-profit private charter schools in Iowa, um, and uh, and then quote enable local school boards and district officials to serve their communities with state go- without state government overreach. So he talked about what he called mean-spirited legislation that Reynolds signed into law banning Iowa school districts from requiring masks in schools. It's uh, an issue that's become a flashpoint that's um, you know roiled school districts around the state and talked about how we have to start acting with courage and do things that aren't politically pandering um, saying that he doesn't know this place where people are making fun of children for wearing a mask and telling stories about losing grandparents um, says he doesn't know this place where a governor is a, is afraid to stand up for, for what's right and saying, this is not the Iowa. no. know. Um, and then he went on to, to say that, you know, we don't always have to agree, but we have to be able to conduct business in a way that's inclusive and bring folks, close or bring folks to, together to the table um, to, to try and build a better future for Iowa. Um, you know, he's a rising state house leader who's known for building amicable relationships on both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, he and other members of Iowa's Legislative Black Caucus led unanimous passage of a police reform bill last year um, following the, the death of George Floyd. And that law, you know, banned the use of chokeholds. Um, revokes certification for officers who commit serious misconduct, um, requires officer bias and, and de-escalation training, among, um, among other things. Uh, I would point out that Smith remains largely unknown uh, among many Iowans, though. About uh, three-fourths of Iowans don't know enough about him to offer an opinion, according to uh, the most recent Des Moines Register MediaCom Iowa poll, which was released earlier this month. Um, At the same time, the poll shows that Governor Reynolds, with a 53% job approval rating, um, she earned high marks for her handling of the state economy, schools, and education as Iowans and and businesses seek a return to normal amid this uh, continuing pandemic.
0: It sounds like he didn't read that uh, report from the University of Virginia (laughs) about how well we get along. (laughs) Uh, Later that same day, uh, Smith and Des Moines businesswoman Deidre Deshir spoke at a Democratic gathering in Cedar Rapids, and um, she also talked about uh, inclusivity and uh, delivering a positive message for folks who might be discouraged by the Republican trifecta at the Capitol. And and she told the group that it's time for us to reinstill belief in what we're capable of. She said that Democrats, uh, when they're asking for improvements in education, uh, affordable health care, and access to mental health, aren't asking for unreasonable things, and uh, her message seemed to be that it's time for us to do some good in the state, and that means with, we start with politely asking someone to exit and firmly putting someone in their place. Um, we assume she was talking about Governor Kim Reynolds, uh, who we assume is going to run for re-election, but Erin, she hasn't made it official. Um, she had her annual Harvest Fest where we thought she would announce her re-election campaigns, um, but no word on that. What's up with that, Aaron?
2: Yeah, it, it's, it was interesting. thought maybe that would be a natural point for uh, her to announce her re-election at the um, the Harvest Festival, which is her what's become her annual um, fall fundraiser. And uh, that, did, as you noted, that did not happen Um the, the sense I'm getting from the governor's team is they're just not in a hurry, um, to do this. I mean, I mean, she's obviously fundraising behind the scenes and doing what she needs to do to raise money. But as far as, you know, making the campaign official and being out there and doing events, um, I, I just don't get the sense that, uh, they feel that they are in any great rush, uh, uh, to do that yet so I'm sure they will you know uh, by the end of the year before uh, next year's legislative session obviously um, so uh, You know, maybe sometime um, in October here. Uh, I, I would think surely before Thanksgiving um, Before we get into the holiday season, we'll, we'll get an announcement, um, but for the time being um, Clearly they uh, just don't feel any rush to you know uh, Make it official that sure they'll plan some big choreographed um um event uh to, to to make an announcement and i guess that's the other part of it too you know you, if you hold off from the fundraiser uh you get a little bit of extra uh media coverage because uh there were reporters including yours truly at the fundraiser um and then um you know obviously when she announces we'll be back to cover that as well too so uh, uh get a little extra media coverage in in, in the uh, as a byproduct of uh, kind of biding your time
0: here. Yeah, Todd, the the governor has certainly come under fire from many fronts, uh, including 24 hour Doorman. Uh, is she having second thoughts, or, or is she playing a waiting game to see who else might be running this year? Uh, Rob Sand, Cindy Axney, we're talking about you. Yeah,
3: well, I don't, I don't think she's having second thoughts. I think, as Aaron said, she's under no pressure to. <clears throat> she's under no pressure to announce. She's, she's not, she's not going to be, you know, challenged in a primary. And I mean, she could, you know, she could wait till the first week of March, I guess, and announce and then file her paperwork. I mean, it's, there there is no rush, but she is out raising money. And I saw that she was using, her campaign maybe was using a fundraising text that seemed to suggest that if she didn't raise this amount of money, that uh, President Biden was going to have a remove from office, which I'm not exactly sure how, how that's going to work, but uh, it certainly is an interesting fundraising pitch. <laughs> it's almost kind of a, it reminds me of uh, one of the televangelists back in the eighties or nineties that said, if if you, if you don't, if I don't raise this much money, God's going to call me home. So he, he did raise the money. And so he got to stay, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, she's in. She's raising money. She's, she's going to sort of milk the anticipation, and like Aaron says, she's going to have a a big old announcement to do, and travel the state, and soak up lots of media attention. And, and you know, I think that's that's probably the plan.
0: I, I don't get the sense that either Smith or Dziewior have uh, set the Iowa Democratic Party on fire. I mean, it's early, um, so maybe people aren't really thinking about a 2022 race yet. Um, But it also seems like Democrats are waiting to see who is behind door number three. Um, (laughs) And, Tom, did uh, Smith talk about who else might get into this race and how that might affect his campaign, or is he just focused uh, on, on his campaign?
1: Uh yeah no he he did not talk about who else might be be running and how that would yeah affect his campaign he said he's you know focused on on his campaign and getting out there uh, meeting Iowans meeting voters um and introducing him to the state um you know um you know educating voters about yeah his campaign his background why he's running um mm-hmm. yeah
0: mean Rob Sand seems to keep. Uh, criticizing the governor and Republicans, and, uh, you know, if you look at the redistricting map, Axney's district is still, a, a, would be a tough race. I think Biden carried that new district by, like, something like less than a percentage point, point. Um, and I'm sure if she got into the governor's race, there would be plenty of Polk County Democrats who would jump at the chance to run for the U.S. House, so um, I guess we'll uh, keep our eye on, on those developments. Um, And speaking of redistricting, um, it's a good thing it only happens once every 10 years or we would get tired of talking about it, (laughs) or maybe we already have. (laughs) Uh, Regardless, with the legislature not in session and campaigns still in low gear, it's the big political news uh, on the state level. As Aaron told us last week, House Speaker Pat graphically seemed to indicate that political considerations such as the five dozen or so legislators who are facing incumbent versus incumbent matchups, shouldn't be part of the discussion when lawmakers meet October 5th. That's the sense I got this past week in conversations about redistricting. House Republicans seem to have accepted this first plan from the LSA. The question, Aaron, is whether Senate Republicans, um, who might be more Trumpian, uh, then their house colleagues will go along with the first map or want to draw their own um what's your take on that
2: yeah it it uh what I'm hearing is that uh pretty much what you noted there that uh, House Republicans are more or less ready to sign off on this thing, but Senate Republicans uh want to tank this first set of of maps so it'll be interesting to see what happens on tuesday uh when they meet uh then they, if that is the case. <clears throat> If Senate Republicans want to vote these maps down then what becomes interesting is um, How far are they willing to go with this because as we've talked about before there's You you can strike that first set of maps But there's no that doesn't come with any kind of guarantee that the second round of maps is any better Um, And then and it may be in your view. It may not be Um, and then beyond that uh, then the the biggest question is how far our Senate, uh, again, assuming they are, as we're hearing, the ones who want to to tank these maps, how far are they willing to go with that? Are they willing to take it all the way to the third round and possibly um, even amend those maps themselves, which um, that's where we get into, we cross that line um, from Iowa's uh, wildly hailed uh, bipartisan process into putting a little bit of a, um, a, a, I shouldn't say a little bit of very much a, a partisan uh, stamp on it. Um, are Senate Republicans willing to go that far? Uh, that, that'll that be interesting. Um, I, I will say I, I think we discussed this on Iowa Press a, a couple weeks ago um, You know, that this would seem like the one issue uh, that maybe State House Republicans would want to pump the brakes on a little bit. Even Republicans talk about how much um, they like, uh, I was nonpartisan redistricting process, but on the other hand, um, if the last four years of the trifecta has taught us anything, it's that, um, um, state house Republicans don't do a lot of pumping of the brakes. And, and if they see an opportunity, uh, to do something, they go for it. And, and why would this case be any different? Um, so, so it, it's going to be, uh, very interesting.
0: Yeah. They, I'm not sure they have brakes, do they? <laughs>
2: two, just two Uh, different gas pedals. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Looking at the redistricting maps, it appears that Senate Republicans, I mean, if you just look at the incumbent versus incumbent matchups, the Senate Republicans could lose five incumbents if they don't move to another district or find some other way to, uh, you know, find an open district somewhere. Uh, And the same would apply to about three Senate Democrats in the House. There are at least 15 Republicans and and three Democrats who are doubled or tripled up. Uh, Tom, are you seeing for sale signs popping up in the Quad quad Cities? Uh, I think there are three senators in one district and a couple of House members who are paired uh, in, in your area down there.
1: Uh, yeah, you're correct. Uh, state Senators Jim Lycom, Robbie Smith, and Mark Lofgren would be drawn into a new Senate district, uh, which would run from uh, the eastern part of Davenport all the way into Muscatine, um, and that new district encompasses excuse me all three lawmakers' um, addresses as they're listed on the, the state legislator's website, and um, like him, uh lives on the west side of Davenport. He's a Democrat. Uh, Smith lives on the east side of the city. He's a Republican. And then Lofgren of Muscatine is a Republican. Um, and then you've got state representatives Monica Kurth and Cindy Winkler, both Democrats who live in the western part of Davenport and are also put into the same district. Um, when I talked to last, I talked to um, to Cindy Winkler. She raised the possibility of running for a newly created open 41st Senate district seat that closely mirrors her current house district and said that uh, she's not looking to move. Um, Kerr said that she would like to run again for the Iowa house, but isn't rushing yet to put up a for sale sign or start checking uh, realtor websites. Um, those things remain possibilities, she said. Um, and depending on what happens with this map, Um, but she said for now, she'll take a deep breath and wait until, uh, we know what happens and hope for the best. Um, and then the proposed maps would also place state representatives, Bobby Kaufman, a Republican from Wilton and, uh, Norman Momsen, a Republican from DeWitt into a newly drawn house district. And the same for, um, Republican state representatives, David Kerr. And I apologize because I'm going to butcher his last name, Mark C- Cisneros. Cisneros. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, they'd be placed into the same House districts as well.
0: Hmm. For some reason, uh, it seems to me Jim Leica moved 10 years ago after redistricting. I, 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 I might be wrong, but for some reason. You,
1: yeah, well, you could be right, but you're testing my memory on that one. <laughs>
0: too early in the day to do that. Uh, Aaron, the, another, uh, incumbent matchup uh, is in your Ankeny neighborhood where, uh, newly elected Michael Busolo and freshman Garrett Gobble are in the same district. Uh, what are they going to do there? Rock, scissors, and paper pistols at dawn or flip a coin.
2: <laughs> so, so I checked the Iowa code and, and it's a pretty obscure provision, but it was interesting. And what I found was in this case, it goes back to the, uh, last winner of the Ankeny versus Ankeny Centennial football game uh, breaks that tie. And so, um, yeah, so Bussolo being the north Sider Centennial won this year's matchup. So it's, it's good news for Bussolo and bad news, I'm afraid, for a gobble. <laughs>
0: uh, Todd, uh, the people who spoke at the public hearings on, on the redistricting plan and submitted written comments, for the most part, praised the process, really didn't comment on the specifics of the plan and, and senate republicans have said they'll follow the law the process of course the law allows them to re- reject the first two maps and draw their own lines when they get to the third map um, if they do that no doubt there would be court challenges but would republicans drawing their own maps be different than democrats approving budgets by reconciliation republicans refusing to approve merrick garland's nomination democrats approving obamacare without Republican support isn't that the way We do government these days.
3: I'm still just trying to get past Boussolo Gobble. I think that would be an excellent law firm name or or something. I mean, that's, I got stuck on that. Sorry. Yeah, this is sort of the way things go. Uh, Although in this case, you know, we, there's, you know, there's a mythology has basically been built around our redistricting system that it's a model for the nation and it's bipartisan. We don't let politicians draw maps, so it would be an, another larger step down the road to uh, all-out political, you know, expediency. If they were to sort of go to go to that that third map, the third rail of the redistricting plan, and go ahead and draw their own map. I mean, yeah, there would be a court challenge, which, you know, is almost kind of built into it because you have to follow there are limits on what you can do you're still not supposed to seek political advantage through the map that you draw but i mean so obviously that's going to be challenged if they go to the third map it seems like the the i mean the fallout after uh pat grassley was on uh, Iowa Press and sort of the suggestion that they were gonna kinda try to get this over with and, and do that first map. There there seems to be a lot of pressure from folks uh regarding the congressional districts and in particular Ashley Henson's predicament. If she finds herself in a, a district she can't win or moves into a district that already has a Republican incumbent, she's she's kinda stuck. So I guess if if the folks working for her on her behalf and her allies you know, can succeed in convincing, you know, lawmakers to scrap that first map and go for a second one. And then maybe, I mean, in the past, the tradition is that lawmakers are concerned about congressional districts, but generally in the end vote on more for their own interests and what the legislature looks like and sort of say good luck to the congressional delegates. But as has been mentioned before, all politics now is national. So, I mean, this, Pat you know, Pat Grassley supporting the first map is tantamount to to handing over Congress to Nancy Pelosi and the and the socialists and, and America ceases to exist. So <laughs> this is this is a little weightier I guess than it would have been in the, the past, or at least some folks are arguing that that you know, it's 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 interesting to see how this is kind of flipped that way.
0: Yeah, I saw the other day, yesterday, that um, I don't know how it was framed. A senior GOP yeah. consultant uh, said it's going to be hard for Pat Grassley to run for governor if he turns uh, Congress over to the Democrats. Well, I mean, they already control. I didn't Congress,
3: know Pat so. Grassley was going to run for governor. That was that was one piece yeah. of news yeah. out of that.
0: But, yeah, that but, was news. Yeah, um,
3: yeah, but, I think but, I can think of some of the senior, the senior uh, <laughs> people who who might have said that. In fact, one comes to mind, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I I just uh, I I keep thinking that the legislators might reject the first map just to see what the second map looks like. That given the number of people who are matched up, uh, you know, incumbent versus incumbent, they might just say like, "Uh, you know, I mean, the second map can't be that much worse. So let's let's see what it looks like.
3: Yeah, and I. Well, I forget the rules. Can I mean they can't go back, right? They can't I don't think so. look at the second map and say, "Yeah, you know, let's do the first map." I think they have to keep, yeah, they have to keep opening doors and seeing think, what's behind them.
0: I, I suppose if they reject the second map, they could basically go back to the first map. You know, they could say, "Okay, well, now we're going to amend whatever third map," uh, and you know,
3: yeah, but, yeah, we're
0: probably getting ahead of ourselves here. But uh, breaking news, uh, Vice President. Mike Pence will be in Iowa City. I think it's November first uh, to speak at the Young Americans for Freedom um, event going on there. So, uh, you know, I guess he he's looking ahead, uh, thinks thinks he has a future.
3: <laughs> I, I don't. I really don't get that. But, <laughs> that's, you know. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's only natural. Mike Pence in Iowa City. It seems like a natural uh, place for him to to land. Um, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, back to redistricting. Um, by this time next week, we'll have a lot more answers about what the legislature is going to do. So you'll want to tune in for the next edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed the, today's podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. The Olympics will take us out, and if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Todd, Tom, and our producer Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.